0: Catherine Cruz, you're listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. As predicted, our healthcare system is straining with the surging COVID cases and staff shortages due to so many either testing positive or being exposed to someone who has tested positive. The latest counts statewide, as we heard, are 2,929 new cases today. Positivity rate is at 20%. The Big Island saw 208 cases and sits at 19.6%. HBR's Kuve Hiraishi is in Hilo. She joins us with what's happening there.
1: The highly transmissible Omicron variant has sort of forced a noticeable amount of the island's workforce into quarantine. From hospitals to airlines, restaurants, to even county government, right? Mayor Roth tested positive for COVID-19 just a few days before Christmas, as is the case with many who have contracted the, the less severe Omicron variant. Roth says his symptoms weren't, were very mild, quote-unquote, but uh, that isolation and staying away was grueling.
0: Yeah and uh, you know we're watching the numbers climb you know th- there were concerns that the hospitalizations would reach 400 I know the healthcare association warned it, it could even exceed that uh but what's the snapshot there on uh, on uh on the big island
1: I do know for for Hilo Hospital or the Hilo Medical Center we spoke to uh, Elena Cabot, who spokes uh person for the Hilo Medical Center and she says you know the good news is that uh those coming into the ER with COVID-19 are not really materializing into hospitalizations, uh, but that uh, the overall cases of folks coming in with uh, flu-like symptoms or with uh, any other non-COVID concerns is also sort of at the same level, if not higher. So overall use or demand for the hospitals uh, has been uh, high com- compared to uh, what we've seen in the past not as high as the Delta variant, a sort of spike we witnessed last year. Uh, but that is a number, hospitalizations is the number that Mayor Ross says he is paying close attention to and will help sort of dictate whether or not he will make any changes to COVID-19 restrictions on the island. Uh, we did see, and as you mentioned, in Kona, uh, we have seen uh, staff shortages that have sort of exacerbated the already uh, high demand for beds. There And we're seeing that across the state, but for Hilo Medical Center in particular, um, they've decided to uh, bring in travel nurses to help reinforce staffing because that adequate staffing concern is uh, sort of their main prerogative. So Cabotu says even in that effort uh, uh, to bring in uh, reinforcements for staffing, Omicron hampered even that effort. Here's Kabatu.
2: The travel nurse's situation is also facing the same exact situation. You know, we're bringing in these nurses from across the country. Some of them are are testing positive. You know, fortunately, the CDC guidelines have been um, improved in terms of uh, that five days after testing positive and without any symptoms, they can report to work. So uh, looking forward to them getting out of isolation or quarantine. And uh, we're just trying our very best to make sure that we have adequate staffing to care for our patients.
1: And I, I would like to add that it, it isn't uncommon. I am in, in Hilo right now. It has not been uh uncommon to see signs plastered on storefronts uh or even uh, flights cancelled at the uh at the airport uh with word of staff shortages. Uh right? And so all of this is sort of um creating long lines at testing sites here in in Hilo and on the Big Island, I've uh, seen folks in line as early as 4:30, and the and testing doesn't start until six. But they want to make sure they can get in and out um, and get to work uh, if they've been uh, tested or if they've got a negative test result. Um, Hawaii County spokesman Cyrus jonathan has says uh, has says the county is keeping an eye on its supply of COVID-19 test kits. You know, nationwide there have been shortages and um, the county is negotiating with vendors uh, to ensure Big Island residents have access uh, to tests. I know uh, for some of these testing sites, uh, they will run out of uh, a certain amount of tests throughout the day and it'll be earlier than the indicated hours. And so folks are paying close attention to that as well. And uh, Hawaii County is also experiencing staff shortages itself within the county Uh, but there was no uh, the spokesman spokesman couldn't provide an exact number of positive cases among staff but um, when it comes to one person uh, testing positive and then possible uh, close exposures within that department you'll see sort of that domino effect.
0: Yeah I know you know here on Oahu I had a an email from a neighborhood bakery saying that someone tested positive and they were uh, uh. shutting down for the day so that everybody could get tested and they could do deep cleaning, you know. So it really is just uh, all segments of the community being affected um, by this, uh, you know, very contagious variant.
1: Right. The, the county and, and the tourists as well. We, we still are seeing visitors who are testing positive. Um, and catching COVID while they are uh, here in Hawaii County. And so uh, we know the state sort of pulled out of of managing those isolation facilities, right? A couple of hotel rooms here and there or uh, other lodgings for tourists that are testing positive. Uh, But now the county says they are uh, working with the Hawaii Island Visitors Bureau uh, to ensure hotels and lodgings are made available to visitors who need to quarantine before getting on a plane and go, going home, do you
0: know anything about the numbers there? Because I know we we've had uh, a few here on Oahu, mm-hmm. and I think those folks are being put up in uh, a couple of Waikiki hotels that have agreed there to was, you know but yeah. uh, provide a space for them.
1: Exactly. I haven't seen. I, I have not heard back from the Hawaii Island Visitors Bureau on an exact number of what they're insuring, but I know the state had just pulled out of of handling that at the beginning of the year, and so the county. Uh, sort of uh, scrambled along with the post-holiday surge in Omicron to figure out uh, how they can uh, ensure that uh, the tourists and visitors are also quarantining and isolating uh, safely before they get on that flight.
0: Right. And uh, I'm sure it's probably a big shock because, uh, uh, you know, the state (laughs) isn't picking up the tab for the extended stay. Uh, And so a lot of those visitors are having to uh, dig deep and and, um, hope they've got enough money on their credit card
1: to pay for those
0: rooms.
1: (laughs) It's true. The the change, though, that came last week uh, with the CDC um, reducing the amount of days uh, necessary for uh, isolation uh, of a COVID positive case before going, uh, returning to work or even, you know, uh, removing themselves from isolation the, the reduction from the 10 days to the five days, I think, has um, been well-received on all fronts for anyone um, dealing with staff shortages because then, you know, uh, their workers can get back to work a bit safer uh, and, and quicker, uh, but always waiting for uh, test kit availability to ensure that, you know, they are negative when they, when they step out of isolation.
0: Well, you know, I know, you know, this emergency situation there at, at uh, Kona, uh, you know, some people are a little concerned because, you know, they're allowed to return to work, you know, when they do have mild symptoms. But you just don't want this to spread. And, you know, like we saw early on with the uh, Okutsu Veterans Home, you know, you want to protect right. those at-risk populations and make sure that uh, they're not, at, uh, you know, under under threat.
1: Right. And I know that uh, the even though... Uh, the CDC may have changed the federal guidelines to five days. There are um, employers who do have their own internal policies that uh, are remaining at ten days, and it's a headache for some who have, you know, lost um, who have become asymptomatic after testing positive. But, like you said, it is this uh, sort of wider uh, effort to to ensure that the community is safe when you step out of out of isolation.
0: And the Big Island uh, will soon be seeing uh, the, the cruise ship passengers, you know, as the uh, the Princess makes its way, you know, from uh, Honolulu. I believe it's on Kauai and, and headed to Lahaina, and then we'll we'll hit the Big Island. But uh, uh, obviously, you know, businesses are are maybe looking forward to uh, the additional uh, visitors coming in. Uh, but right. you know, folks the are a bit nervous.
1: Spending. Yeah, I think the businesses are definitely anticipating and possibly uh, even hoping uh, to uh, keep their workers safe up until then so that, you know, they have staffing to keep their doors open. And that's sort of, um, you know, the irony of, of the situation is they are anticipating that spike in visitors, but um, hopefully they uh, will not be hit by Omicron and need to close their doors. Right.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much, Kuvehi. You stay safe. Molly, you too. That was HPR's Kuvehi Rishi with an update of what's going on over there on the Big Island. The state uh, has put in a request to FEMA to help with traveling nurses. A FEMA spokesperson said the state request is not for actual staff but for reimbursement funding and that the state can uh, deploy needed personnel without waiting for FEMA's approval. the Lucille Beat story about DUI charges getting dropped against Representative Sharon Har is getting lots of hits. Reporter Kevin Dayton joins us today for our reality check. Good morning, Kevin.
3: Good morning. How are you, Kevin?
0: Good. So uh, refresh our listeners' memory about the the case with the uh, Representative Har.
3: Sure. Uh, I think a lot of people will remember that Representative Sharon Har was arrested on February 22nd of last year um, after she was pulled over for driving in the wrong direction down uh, the one-way Baratania Street over near uh, Pequois Street. And um, Har made a sort of a dramatic public apology by video on the House floor shortly after her arrest, saying she had had a beer with dinner uh, while she was at a restaurant and was also taking some prescription cough medicine and that as she put it that contributed to her impaired driving or to my impaired driving she said um on monday uh you said dismissed actually uh, she was actually acquitted uh, on the charge of drunken driving so on monday she won well both she won both a dismissal of the remaining drunken driving charge against her and also an acquittal from per diem district court judge stephen hartley um which is which has been of great interest to a lot of people
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, lots of of eyes on your story this morning. Uh, And, you know, her case, I think the hearings, have you know, there have been lots of delays. I mean, it's been, like you said, almost a year now.
3: Yeah, and I'm not sure how unusual that is for a DUI case. Um, But what the judge did basically is he he, um, watched, he basically watched the evidence, watched the prosecution put on their case. So after watching body camera footage from the stop, the traffic stop and and the aftermath of that, hearing testimony from two police officers and uh, another investigator judge hartley granted a request um by Har's lawyer howard luke that hard be acquitted and what's sort of surprising about this is Har's lawyer was not even required to put on a defense in the case um it basically the judge ruled that the prosecution had not proved the case beyond a reasonable doubt um har had also some people may remember that she was also charged with driving without motor vehicle insurance but that charge was dismissed on december 6th at the very beginning of her trial it was it started on the in december and then was was uh, deferred until yesterday so one of the things that seems odd is um it's unusual that a judge would both dismiss a charge and also acquit a defendant um and but that's what the district court did um but what what uh, luke would like to do is uh, he'd like to stress the fact that his client was acquitted um, rather than just simply getting the charge dismissed so if we think back to what happened at the time uh, officers at the scene of the arrest said that har and her vehicle smelled of alcohol and that she seemed to be impaired i think based on her speech uh, but har refused to take a, a breath or a blood test
0: and you know, you did uh, talk to the uh, city prosecutor's office, right? Um, what did they say about this decision?
3: They actually didn't. we not willing to uh, make a statement yesterday, other than that. Uh, city Prosecutor Steve Alm was very disappointed in the decision, and he is expected to have a press conference at two o'clock today um, to elaborate on it, perhaps to address that issue of. Uh, both the dismissal and the acquittal, which just seems very odd that somebody that, you know, you you're basically disposing of the case in two different ways. It's right? <laughs> just a little bit different. Um, you know, and, and I think Har's lawyer, uh, Howard Luke, again, he wants to stress that, that um, she was acquitted, and he, he cites uh, what he saw on the body cam footage, and he says that that showed absolutely no sign of impairment, that she seemed to be easily entering and exiting police vehicles and balancing on high heels as she walked. And um, he just wants to basically he wants the public to know that that she was acquitted rather than than simply getting off on a technicality.
0: Okay, and then uh, what about uh, her fellow lawmakers? How are they looking at this uh, situation?
3: Well, we're not quite sure about that either. Uh, Some some people may recall there was a request or a complaint from the public on this issue after the, you know, based on the media reports, there were some complaints made from the public. And the House set up a special committee to evaluate Horace's conduct in this. Um, and the committee uh, then adjourned, waiting for the outcome of the criminal case. And uh, we posed the question to House Speaker Scott Psyche yesterday, um, asking whether, what he, what's he going to do? Is he going to proceed with that special committee proceedings or or put it aside and dissolve the committee? And he said he'll have to speak to House leadership further on that.
0: Yeah, it'll be really interesting uh, to see, though, uh, what uh, uh, City Prosecutor Steve Holm has to say this afternoon. But Absolutely. Sure-
3: it's an unusual case.
0: Yeah, well, all right. Well, keep on it. <laughs> but thanks right. so thanks so much, Kevin.
3: Thanks, Kevin.
0: We have been talking to Kevin Dayton with today's reality check. Uh to read the story, go online to civilbeat.org.
4: Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, welcoming the community to experience treasures of devotion, human connection in secular and sacred art, featuring works from the 14th century to present day. Honolulumuseum.org. Join us tonight for the debut of our Hawaii Symphony Orchestra broadcast season. Hear the Hawaii premiere of Starburst by Jesse Montgomery, a young American composer whose music has been electrifying audiences across the nation. Plus handles Concerto for Harp with soloist Constance Uejo and Tchaikovsky's Impassioned Serenade for Strings. Tonight at 8 p.m. on HBR2, Your Home for Classical Music. Sponsored by Furniture Plus Design. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Bonnie Rice and The Rice Partnership, providing full service wealth management on Oahu, Maui, and throughout California. Learn more at TheRicePartnership.com.
0: This is the conversation on statewide member supported Hawaii Public Radio. Your backyard quiz is next.
1: (laughs) Onihoa, Olehua, Onihao, Okawa,
2: Oa, O Moloka, O Lana, O Mau, Okaola, O
0: Hawaii. We'll have a story about a Kauai charter school making a special delivery to the International Space Station later in the show. So for today's Backyard Quiz, we're looking back at Hawaii's ties to past space missions. Mauna Kea on Hawaii Island has been frequently used for space-related training and observations over the last several decades. It is considered the best spot on Earth to stargaze. More than 13 astronomical telescopes have been built there for U.S. organizations, along with several other countries like Argentina, Japan, and the Netherlands. The mountain's terrain is quite impressive as well. The first five miles up to the visitor center is paved. But beyond that, the road to the summit is unpaved and closely resembles a lunar landscape. With plentiful basalt lava flows and cinder cones in a dry, barren environment, the setting is actually perfect for astronaut training. So for today's Backyard Quiz, we want to know which NASA space mission was Mauna Kea used for in the 1960s. Call 808-941-3689 or 877 877- 9413689 if you know the answer the first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right
4: Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Neiread Hawaii, which is committed to supporting nonprofits providing senior rental housing for veterans in the islands, such as EAH Housing. NeireadHawaii.com
0: the covid weary and the worried well we pause as we make our way through this first month of the new year the surge in numbers may curb your optimism just when we thought it was safe and we were ready to turn the corner here are a few thoughts from folks we talked to about 2022 as we brace for whatever is to come and resolve to make the best of it what are you hoping for for the new year
5: just for everybody to
3: love each other and for there to be peace and we we get through this pandemic together
0: Uh, it's been a tough two years
6: yes has for sure you
0: have any resolutions at all
6: stay focused on a greater goal well how do i top that
2: one
7: Um, (laughs) i'll I'll do a a selfish one
0: okay well Um, what's your resolution
7: to run in the marathon this year
0: were you inspired by the runners in the 2021
7: i I
1: actually didn't see it but i was originally wanting to do it but i had to take some breaks from running
7: so
0: any thoughts that you have for the new year
7: I just hope the outcome here is a lot better and, you know, the COVID cases go down here.
6: Well, I hope COVID dissipates more than gets worse. And I hope that uh, everybody can get back to work and get paid more or a decent wage more than we have been in the past. And I hope that the, what is it, the midterm elections don't go bad. (laughs) Uh, What else? Yeah, just, you know, but then personally, just, you know, keep on keeping on, just going, staying to work, you know.
0: Did you get laid off or do you know people that lost their job?
6: No, I was lucky. I got to work remotely and move here, so. From where? From, well, from San Francisco to Washington to here. So I was pretty fortunate to be able to work remotely in my job and just online all the time, but I realized that not everybody has that opportunity or, or luxury, so. Yeah, it's tough if you have to go to a restaurant for a job or whatever, and hopefully we can get back to normal to some degree.
0: Any personal fitness goals or, I don't know, know, most people do that. (laughs) Like, I'm going to be healthier this year.
6: Yeah, well, i got to get back onto the keto diet or the keto (laughs) uh, lifestyle anyway. Not a diet. Diets are bad. (laughs) Just eating healthy, you know, just to feel better.
0: Those are some of the resolutions from the folks we talked to. And if your New Year's resolution is to be more active, you are certainly not alone, as we heard. For mothers with young children, finding the time to focus on their physical, mental, and spiritual well-being, though, can be a challenge. One local nonprofit is helping to overcome that. It's called... Surfing Moms. It started on Oahu last September, and it helps moms and other caretakers connect for what is essentially a beach day. It is modeled after the popular Surfing Moms organization in Australia. And in the months since its inception in our islands, it's expanded to California, adding new chapters in San Francisco, Santa Cruz, and Redondo Beach. The Conversations Russell Subiano sat down with the group's founder and president, Elizabeth Maiden, to talk about how surfing helps with the postpartum experience.
8: According to your website, Surfing Mom's mission is to help improve maternal mental, physical, spiritual health by helping moms and other caretakers get back in the water after having children. For those who aren't familiar with postpartum struggles, can you talk about what some, maybe all mothers experience to some degree after giving birth?
7: It's such a a life-changing event, which is such an understatement, of course, but you know, you go from being this one-man show to suddenly being in charge of another human which comes with a obviously a huge responsibility and I suppose that different people take that on in different ways and you know for some people it's an extraordinarily joyous time which is great and that's what you hope but but it's not for everyone and you know it it can ebb and flow sometimes it's joy intermixed with deep feelings of desperation and and sort of anxiety about what am I doing and how am I allowed to be in charge of this little human? So, you know, and it also sometimes comes with a feeling of isolation and that, you know, you suddenly are marching to a different beat than all the people you used to hang out with. And, you know, unless you have other mothers that or fathers that you can relate to, it, it can be quite isolating. And in this country, I don't think we have, and we do have some great postpartum support networks, but, you know, there's not a default where, you know, you're automatically, say, put together with a group of new mothers from the day you walk out of the hospital, like, like I was in Australia, I was very fortunate to have that. But I think a lot of people in any country struggle with just that newness of being a parent. Do you have children? I do. We have three children. They're 12, 10 and five. (laughs)
8: Awesome. Awesome. What was your experience like when you became a mom? Would you be willing to share what your postpartum experience was like?
7: Of course. I was fortunate that I didn't experience myself any what I would call postpartum depression or anything like that. But, you know, just like everyone else, I had huge bouts of anxiety and uncertainty about what am I doing? Am I doing this right? You know, mm-hmm. what really helped me so much at the time um, when I had my first child, the hospital that I gave birth in in Australia in Sydney automatically put us together, a bunch of us who'd had babies around the same time lived in the same area. So that was great. We automatically had a mini sort of manufactured, but very helpful support network. But I actually ended up finding a group of women through a yoga, a postpartum yoga class where you go with your baby. And those have become some of my lifelong friends and were a huge support during that time. So I'm just so thankful that I had that. It wasn't until I discovered surfing moms after my second child. So that was probably three years into parenthood, um, I discovered Surfing Moms in Australia, which is a nationwide network of, of groups that meet like we do here now. And that was just a total game changer for me. It was just sort of, it got me back into surfing. It got me doing, you know, realizing that, hey, I can be a mother, but I can be an even better mother if I am taking care of myself in terms of what I love to do in sport and just spiritually being in the ocean and just having a, that space to kind of take a pause, surf, come back and be a better parent. So, you know, I mean, I had tons of ups and downs like we all do mothers and fathers alike, but I was, I was pretty fortunate that I I kind of fell into a couple of really good support networks.
8: I'm glad that you brought up surfing. What is it about surfing that you believe makes it an effective coping and healing mechanism?
7: For me and for a lot of the, the moms that I know, I think a lot of us find that being in a situation that's just, we're not in control for a start. I mean, you're really not when you're in the ocean, the ocean's in control. And I I think that's a little bit of it is being in a place where there's something bigger than you and you're part of that. And you're, because of that, to me, it takes, you know, a lot of concentration to focus on. I mean, there's easy days, but when you're out there and it's a bit wild, you know, you're really, that's what you're focused on. And so for me, that's a bit of a meditation, really. It kind of forces me to be right in the present moment and nothing else. And that I think is, is really nice, a nice, I, I love being a mother, but I also appreciate those breaks from kind of having to make decisions and look after three little humans and and so on so it's it's nice to have that break from that, but also to really focus on just the present and what you're doing and and how you know how that makes you feel is is different all the time, but I think it can be really rejuvenating for a parent.
8: There's not many things in our lives that that we can do where we have to be a hundred percent present in the moment. Can you talk? about your group, Surfing Moms. Can you tell me, you know, how did it start? Who can join? How does it work? Can you, can you kind of just give our listeners an idea of of what that experience is like?
7: Sure. Well, it started very organically. Basically when I I moved here permanently to, from Australia, um, where I mentioned I'd been part of the Surfing Moms group there, which has been around for maybe about 10 years. I thought, oh, you know, I don't know anyone here and I'd really like to get out surfing and, but I've got three small children and, you know, so it's, There's not a whole lot of opportunity unless I trade off with my husband, but I'm not great at going to new surf breaks on my own. I'd rather go with someone. And just generally, I think surfing is great, but surfing with friends is sort of magical. So I just decided, you know what? I don't really have the time or the energy for this, but I need it. So I'm just going to throw it out there. And I just started telling people, whoever wanted to show up, come meet me at the beach at such and such day and time. I'll be there. And if you want to swap surfing, we can. And the first day, miraculously, a couple of people showed up. And then, you know, after that, more or less, people showed up every week. We just made it the same time every week. It was at the time, I think, Friday. Well, now it is still Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. at one of the surf breaks around Kailua. And what we do is we basically show up and pair up so that, say, if you and I are the ones there, you know, I'm looking after your kids while you surf and you're looking after my kids while I surf. And we each have about an hour to, you know, get your kids sunscreened up and get them fed with snacks and happy and settled on the beach. And then we do that sort of one-to-one swap. So it keeps it really safe. And then you go out surf, you probably have like 30 or 40 minutes out in the water, come back, feel better, swap roles, and then, you know, go home happy and salty and think about next week. (laughs) That's pretty much how it works. But as far as who can join, I mean, we're really open to any parents or caregivers or anyone who has children and would like to get back in the water doesn't have it's not just for new mothers, I mean I'm not a new mother, and most of most of i mean there's a whole range of people with newborn babies all the way to people like me with middle schoolers so it's for any parents or caregivers that want to you know meet people surf together um have their kids have a great time on the beach and and build that community.
8: What's been the feedback that you've gotten? What kind of results have you seen?
7: What I've seen in the people that have come either once or twice or regularly is just that. I don't want to oversell it but it really sort of builds a new dimension back into life and it's not just getting back in the water to surf that is a big part of it but i've really seen perhaps even the most benefit in the community building i mean for me it was just a game changer i really had kind of not been surfing when i first had my first two children i hadn't been surfing i took like a sort of unexpected unwelcome four year surfing hiatus until I found Surfing Moms in Australia and that really got, it sort of reintroduced that element of my life back into my life. And I'm so thankful because it's added a new dimension to life that could have otherwise been lost. And I've seen that in a lot of people, the, a lot of the mothers that come, they, they get back into it and they thought, wow, I think I thought this was lost. But no, I can actually do this and it makes me feel better, be a better person, better parent. What does surfing
8: do for you? What do you love about it? How, in fact, how did you start surfing?
7: I grew up in Kentucky on the mainland. So I didn't, I guess it wasn't until, well, I started surfing actually here in Hawaii en route back to Australia when we were living there. So I was probably 24, 25. And yeah, you know, I just went down to Waikiki and, you know, took a lesson and got pushed on a maybe 11 foot board and actually stood up and suddenly felt that stoke and thought, oh, I've got to do this again. <laughs> so ever since then, I've kind of been just on the, the journey of, of, you know, progressing, but just trying to have fun. Um, Keeps me keeps me younger probably a little bit, but also because it's easy to get weighed down in the minutia of everyday life, whether it's work or parenting or whatever. But it pulls me out of that and kind of gives me. It just puts infuses life into the, every day that I surf. You know, is a better day than it would have otherwise been. And I have, I mean, most days are pretty good, but it's definitely better when I've been in the water. And it just gives me a a, a feeling of sort of aliveness that I don't get from anything else. And I like that it kind of introduces a bit of uncertainty and an element of wildness into your life.
8: It's also kind of a badge of honor too, right? When you tell people that you surf, their eyes get big and there's always that they're very impressed by you. So I kind of like that too.
7: Yeah. I always like to qualify it with, I've been surfing for a while now, but you wouldn't know it from watching me surf. I'm not that good, (laughs) but I have a lot of fun.
8: Now for, for moms in States without access to waves, what can they do to have a similar experience? do you know if there's like a kayaking moms or a stand up paddleboarding moms group in places that are more landlocked?
7: That is my hope, actually. That you know, where there aren't already things like that, that someone who, say, lives in a landlocked area like where I grew up, might see, hear of us, or something. You know, hear of the model of, hey, they're doing this with surfing and swapping and building community. I could do that with, as you say, whatever your thing is. I mean it could be, you know, art moms, it could be yeah, yoga moms, it could be uh, hiking moms, you know, I'm I'm sure a lot of these things do exist. But I think what is great about the the model that we've really adopted from the Australian surfing moms is that it doesn't you don't have to pair up with someone and hope that their schedule matches up with yours. You just know there's a certain day and time and you show up and there's going to be someone else and you only need two (laughs) to do your thing. It's my hope that people will start up. More of that kind of thing, and whatever there, whatever it is that that gives them life.
0: That was Elizabeth Maiden, founder and president of Surfing Moms, talking with H. Perez Russell Subiono. And don't worry, Surfing Moms welcome dad, they welcome dads and other caretakers to the group. Later today, we'll have links to learn more about the group on the conversation page of our website, Hawaiipublicradio.org. Getting back to our backyard quiz, we asked you which NASA mission was Mauna Kea on the White Island used for. Throughout history, our ancestors have looked into the night sky and wondered what lay behind our atmosphere. Theories abounded for centuries, including some very amusing ones, like the moon was a large ball of Swiss cheese. However, in July of 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin Formed the American crew that landed the Apollo Lunar Module Eagle on the moon, with Armstrong becoming the first person to step foot on its surface. Although no human had ever done that before, these men weren't entirely unprepared. They had previously trained on Mauna Kea, where they walked on hardened lava fields to obtain a better sense of what scientists imagine it might be like to walk on the moon. More recently, Mauna Loa on Hawaii Island has been used as a setting for training for life on Mars. But Hawaii's relationship with space travel all started with the Apollo 11 mission, the answer to today's backyard quiz. In addition to Hawaii, the Apollo 11 crew also trained in remote parts of Arizona and the Grand Canyon. And we had no winners today. But that is today's quiz, and if you have an idea for one, please send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org.
2: It happens to the best of us. The week gets away
0: from you and you're left feeling out of the loop. Let HPR keep you connected and informed with the Island Insider Newsletter. It's a quick roundup of local news stories from our award-winning team delivered to your inbox every Friday morning. Stay on top of this week's news in one handy email. Sign up is easy and free at hawaiipublicradio.org slash newsletter.
4: Support for HPR comes from the Sierra Club of Hawaii for 50 years working to help protect the island's water, air, and ecosystems. The Sierra Club of Hawaii receives support from the Kim Koko Fund for Justice, sierraclubhawaii.org.
0: your morning cup of coffee in space? What about the sandwich that you usually make for lunch? Or the birds in your backyard? Your car keys? Your whole car? Well, uh, those are the questions that teachers at Alaka'i Okawa'i Charter School asked their students earlier this year. And some of those students will get to have their questions answered. The conversation Savannah Harriman-Poet spoke to School Director David Adams for the details.
5: Gosh darn it. Uh, We have some pretty... Clever Cakey in, in grade four, uh, whose name is Team Co, and, and they they were curious and came up with an experiment. Wow, sugar cane, like would sugarcane grow the same in space as, as sugarcane would, would grow on Earth? And, and so that particular experiment, uh, I'm, I'm really, really blessed to share that it will be going to the International Space Station, uh, projected for a launch date in May of 2022.
2: Wow, that is <laughs> that is so exciting. Talk about shoot for the stars.
5: What I love about this particular adventure is, is it teaches all of us to, uh, to really dream big. If you're at a, a tiny little charter school in beautiful Kahili Valley in Kauai, you can still gaze up at the stars. You know, our students now routinely will look up and, and spot the International Space Station as it goes over Kauai. Uh, you can look up at those stars and, and dream about what that is up there and, and actually sort of have some realization that, hey, an experiment from our school is, is literally going to be up there and be performed in, in May.
2: Mm. And tell me a little bit more about that process, from idea to partnership with the International Space Station. Who reached out to whom? When did they get involved? Give us the rundown.
5: Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was a very interesting process that we were uh, able to follow. Um, we, we were supported uh, deeply uh, by some people that were called, uh, their organization is Dream Up to Space. So we did partner with them this year. Uh, they have supplied for us uh, a, a whole lot of background knowledge, a whole bunch of understanding and expertise, and they've shared that with our staff. And, and so really if, if we go back to, well, teach a person to fish, that, that particular piece about being supported right from the beginning of the school year and uh, embedding those ideas and support in with our teachers and then I, I got to tell you, our, our staff did an incredible job uh, of, of capturing not only what the intent was, but the adventure of, of going up to space. We looked at it very much uh, in, in respect to the, the early Polynesian voyagers. They, they were the first astronauts, in our opinion. They they started out um, in, in, in canoes, and gosh darn it, they, they found these beautiful islands of Hawaii. And in between, uh, there was a whole lot of n- nothing. And, and, and so we, we've sort of embraced that idea. We're blessed to live here in, in Hawaii. And so a- as this went around, the, the teachers uh, captured that enthusiasm. Um, we got into a, a pre-launch phase in which we, as a school, examined what it would be like to be part of a launch team, which was um, our socio-emotional learning project to start the year. And and then we we took it from there and really got into the dream up to space where they worked on project-based learning activities to create their own experiments. So from there, uh, there was seven wonderful people, three on the island of Kauai, uh, four on the mainland, who agreed to act as an assessor panel. And they went through every single one of those projects Um, And in conjunction with Dream Up to Space, uh, a project which was Team Co, uh, Sugarcane, was brought forward by that assessor panel. And um, now we're in the process of working with Dream Up to Space uh, to meet all the criteria that has to go in place for anything to go um, from here to Cape Canaveral, from Cape Canaveral. Into a rocket ship uh, up to the International Space Station, of course, have that perform that experiment performed and then brought back to Earth. So, um, Team Co., this is not the end of their work. Um, those uh, diligent little people are going to be very busy for several months now.
2: Yes, that was something I immediately thought about, and I appreciate you touching upon it. Is the history of sugarcane or co as a canoe plant? As something that was brought along with voyagers, as they went into greater and greater worlds, worlds that had not yet been touched or discovered by humankind, it is It is poetic to think of it taking yet another voyage. Do you know is this the first time sugarcane has left the planet?
5: you know i I'm not entirely sure about that I wish I, <laughs> I wish I was so clever. That I was an expert and could say, yes, it is. I, I don't know. I, I do know this that Team Co and, and their experiment absolutely captured the imagination of many people because they shared that, of course, sugarcane has a multi, multifaceted uh, set of opportunities to be used uh, on, a, on a voyage, like the early Polynesians, the early adventurers. If we truly are going to dream up the space, if we can find a plant that would provide food, would provide nutrition, has medicinal purposes, could be used for housing, just like the early Polynesians, and we could take that out to space, we could take it to another planet. That was part of their philosophy of why they chose uh, sugar cane, why they chose coal.
2: Do you find, or what have you found is the value in looking to history when plotting out new scientific discoveries or incorporating storytelling into the scientific process with your students?
5: Uh, It is. I'm so glad you touched upon this because, uh, again, in in order for us to to move forward creatively, we, we also have to examine from where we came. We we have to know what our histories are, and that's very much of the blessing uh, of being in uh, a beautiful campus <laughs> in the middle of nowhere in a sacred valley. That um, Hawaiianic culture uh, is is a significant part of what we do here at the school, and, and we understand the importance of talking story and sharing story, and, and really listening to those stories from the past because they help dri- drive creatively where we're going to go in the future. So uh, that's one of the areas that I'm, I'm extremely proud of, of um, the support and blessed to have the support of we what we've had. People on this island, people on Kauai have just been so gracious with the gift of their time and expertise. And, I think we all know when, when you plant that seed in young, emerging, curious minds, uh, th- there's no telling where that's going to go. That, that truly is dream up, up to space. Mm.
2: Do you know, is it a particular variety of sugarcane that Team Co. modeled their experiment on?
5: Well, it, we're, we're still in that particular planting stage. So I, I have to share that, uh, oh my gosh, here we go. We're back to the, to the blessings. That the natural botanical gardens here on Kauai uh, literally has a a seed biologist with a a PhD who has come forward, who works on seeds, who works on cuttings, and has volunteered his time to come and work with Team Co. So that they can choose uh, the best variety for success in their particular experiment. So... I, I will share that really that's still in a in a planning stage, that's still in a piece where they've taken their inquiry question and they're still building it into the practical application.
2: Well, we're all very excited to see what happens and we're very proud of Team Co. Are there any other particular experiments that you want to highlight? I know a bunch of students got together and came up with, I'm sure, a whole slew of wonderful ideas.
5: I love the ideas. (laughs) I have to share with you, there was such a tremendous range of ideas of what it should look like. I'm being absolutely honest that in the mind of a five-year-old, the kindergartens, some of them felt like they needed to send a cupcake to space. (laughs) Um, And we we don't ever stifle that creativity if they can come up with a good inquiry question and can build a process behind that uh, about why a cupcake should go to space, what it should look like. Good go with that. Because when you're five years old, that's probably a pretty good thing. You want to send a cupcake up to an astronaut. Um, I I will say there was some really good thoughts about uh, tadpoles because of DNA similarities to human beings. Uh, There was some... Experiments that came forward that were looking at root vegetables that was really good. There was another one that looked closely at what what could you do if um, you could send something to space that, to check whether it would oxidize. So look at rust uh, on metal objects. So um, I, I think that this particular piece ha- has really opened up some thoughts about us collectively as a school and I think that was one of the most beautiful parts is even though Team Co uh, experiment was the one that was chosen you know when May comes around we'll turn on the video or we'll hopefully be able to find the live feed and we'll sit around together as a school all of us kindergarten to grade six and staff and learning community and we're going to watch that rocket ship go up and we're going to know that we all had a small part to play in that i'm not only excited to see what's going to happen in may with this particular experiment i'm i'm excited to see what's going to happen in five years and in 10 years and in 15 years and in 20 years because it's not uncommon to hear on on uh, campus now students talking about hey i want to be an astronaut someday
0: that was Alaka'i Okawaii Charter School Director David Adams talking about a special delivery of sugarcane that will arrive at the International Space Station in May for a student design experiment. Congratulations to Team Ko and all the students at Alaka'i. That's it. We're all pow now. Tomorrow, we plan to hear about the latest treatments for COVID, the ever-changing landscape, what the variants respond to or not. Call our Talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow, won't you, for more of the conversation.